Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This is Creativity and Play. I'm Steve Dahlberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. You can find us online and be notified of future shows at creativityandplay.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Creativity Play. And download archived editions on iTunes. Our guest today on Creativity and Play is Lois Holzman, director and co-founder of the Eastside Institute, which is a New York City-based international research and training center for new approaches to human development and, cre- and community. Lois is also the convener of Performing the World Conference, and she's the author of numerous books, including Performing Psychology, Schools for Growth, and the forthcoming book, The Overweight Brain, How Our Obsession with Knowing Keeps Us from Getting Smart Enough to Make a Better World. Lois Holzman, welcome to Creativity and Play. Thank you, Steve. Uh, it's it's a privilege to be on your show. I think it's fantastic. Really serves a good purpose, and I hope that your listener uh, audience grows and grows and grows because it's really critical that people hear such wonderful alternative um, people, practitioners, and theorists. So thank you. Well, it's great to have you on because we've uh, had some of your colleagues on previously to talk about both the All Stars Project and also the Performing the World. Um, event that both Mary Alice and I had the privilege of being part of about a year ago mm-hmm. at this time. And uh, I, while we're talking about that, we should let people know that the next one is about a year from now in 2014 in New York City again. And perhaps you can just, um, I was going to ask you about your book first, but it, we're talking about performing the world. So let, let's, let's hit that first and, and tell us about that. And I think you're right now um, seeking um, proposals from people that might want to be part of it next year. Yes. It will be in October, just um, in about a month, I mean a year from now, and it's an international conference with people from many, many countries who either do or want to use performance, play, creativity in their work for both uh, personal, political, cultural uh, transformation. And we are seeking proposals. The website is performingtheworld.org, and it's actually connected to the book in in, in a very interesting way. I was um, going to say, I suspect we'll uh, come back <laughs> into the themes of performing the world as we as we speak about your book. Um, your your book is um, offering uh, perhaps a provocative proposition that uh, knowing might be keeping us from getting uh, smarter, making the world a better place. And um, you say this as I would venture to guess somebody who is who knows a lot. You've uh, <laughs> you've got a PhD from Columbia. You've written lots of academic books and articles. You've uh, been at Brown University and Rockefeller University. And uh, again, I would say you probably know a great deal. But you're uh, telling us that uh, perhaps that's that's a problem and getting in the way. So can you elaborate on what you what you mean by that and, and why you you called the book what you have? I would be happy, happy to. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I had a good education. Um, the thing is that we all know that technology has profoundly changed the kind of brain work that people need to do. Um, anything you want to know, you can Google. <laughs> you can actually find out anything. And there are wonderful educators uh, from Sugatra Mitra to um, Ken Robinson who speaks about this, although he doesn't actually do a whole lot, but many, many hundreds of people who are realizing and practicing self-organizing learning. Uh, the Khan Academy is another one. That that we there are other ways to learn things besides um, the traditional cognitively biased way of acquisitional learning. So we really should be free from having to know but we're not. Um, schools and other institutions keep us locked into an acquisitional knowledge building and skill building way of being. And that's not just for schools and for intellectual stuff and practical skills, but it's also e emotionally and relationally. We think we're supposed to know who to marry, who is this a good person for us? But life is not knowable, and more and more it's become clear in the political arena globally. We really don't know what we're doing. We don't know how to stop wars. We don't know how to stop violence. We don't know how to educate all children. We don't know how to, elim to eliminate poverty. Um, and we should accept that we don't know, and we should learn from children <laughs> because they learn they develop they become socialized without having to know anything they don't know and they don't know that they don't know so i'm a proponent of um and in the book i talk about how i went from a knowledge creator i wanted to be a knowledge creator like all those people that's why you get a phd right um and i've transformed into a growth creator I'm interested in, I believe we can make a better world if we practice non-knowing growing. What I mean by that is that we grow when we're babies and toddlers. Until we get to school, we grow and we learn through taking risks and being supported to do things before we know how to do them, to play at this game or that game, to wave bye-bye when we have no idea what that means, to have these conversations with our um, family where we babble and, and say these sounds and they pretend they know what we're saying and they say stuff to us and they pretend we know what they mean. And gradually through that playing, pretending, performing, we become what we aren't yet. That's what I mean by non-knowing growing. And, and you we also, need, and I, I'm sorry. I was just going to say you also described that as then performing, correct? Yes, yes, performing. And, I, and, you know, there's different really fantastic, brilliant thinkers who've said things like this in our institute and um, development community of projects that focus on non-knowing growing really have picked up on them. One of them, as you know, um, from knowing me, is Lev Vygotsky, the Soviet psychologist who lived in the 1920s and 30s and who really, you know, focused on 
children's play is not just how they learn the rules of social life, but it's also where they develop because they are a head taller, is the phrase he used. They perform a head taller than they are. They stretch. They do things that they don't know how to do yet, and that's how they become the things and and the way that they are when they're seven or eight or nine. And if we just keep knowing, we are getting dumber because we stop doing the very, very things, performing, playing, pretending, being creative with other people. Those things are how we get smarter. So that's the premise of the book. Um, Lois, Lois, it's interesting that as an academic and somebody with a PhD and all the schooling and all that, now as a writer, you're interested in or you're attempting to move from academic writing, which you've done a lot of, to writing that everyone can understand without the big words and the jargon. Yeah. As I noticed as I read through your text, there was, I could see the attempt at that. So could you talk about that sure. process that you've gone through to get to this point of wanting to write this book on social media and um, how you're writing it? Definitely. So um, access it? Yeah, well, I do a, a lot of um, speaking, both internationally and in the U.S., and I would say most of my audiences are academic of, or practitioners, so they're, you know, they're whether they're into ideas or not, they've, they think they should be. <laughs> but I also um, have the pl- privilege and pleasure of several times a year speaking with young inner-city kids through one of the All-Stars programs. And I have these incredible philosophical conversations with them. And I'm able to do that because I just want to give people a glimpse of seeing in in just a little bit different way so that when they walk out of the room, they have new things to think about, new things to see, and also seeing the old things in new ways. And it is so gratifying. And I've had to learn to speak without the highfalutin academic language, although I do teach them some of those words um, in the process of teaching them to think it in, about things in a new way. And I also started a blog several years ago where I, sometimes it's academic, sometimes it's not. And then this past um, spring started a Psychology Today blog. So I've been practicing some. And um, this book, The Overweight Brain, that I'm, I'm, I'm working on, I am trying this experiment of not dumbing down anything but writing in absolute, clear, non-academic language. There's not a reference in the book. There's going to be some notes at the end. And whether I succeed or not I, I is going to be determined by social media. So what I'm planning to do, I'm launching it in November on a newly designed LoisHoltzman.org blog. And every month or so there will be a chapter. And I'm going to ask people, invite people to comment on that chapter. Would you, on different parts of it, but in particular, who would you give this to, if anybody? Would you give this to students? Would, would you give this to your mother? 
would you share this, have a conversation with, with um, a colleague at work and then come back and tell us what happened? Um, I do that in my online trainings that um, the Institute does with people around the world. We always ask them to take it out, spread the word, not as a proselytizer, but as someone who is working to find out, does this work? What do people think of it? Getting involving, creating a community of people who are bringing out new ideas. There is a conceptual revolution going on. We're part of it. We think ordinary people should be part of it every single day of their lives. So that, that's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it to, to get feedback on, am I succeeding? Is this, can, you know, am I a total failure at writing in popular language or does this work? And if it does work, what works well and what work and what doesn't so I can get better at it. Great. Well, you know, I'm also a person who is playing with play. And I noticed too, you, you write about expanding. Or you not only write about, you do <laughs> play and perform and help others to do the same. So I wonder too if you can expand on what that what it means to play and perform in in becoming, uh, and how yeah. that interfaces with your mm-hmm. your book. Yeah. Well, I call it. I'd like to call it a, um, a, a psychology of becoming. So the psychology that we've inherited in this second decade of the 21st century, I think you'd agree with me whether you are a psychologist, studied it or not, but it's a psychology of prediction, always trying to predict who's going to be aggressive, who's going to be this, who's going to be that, of diagnosis, that's for sure. Everything is diagnosed. Of treatment, must be a problem. We must find a treatment for it. Very medical model. And I would say a lot of hype. If you read the popular press in particular, you read the New York Times or Psychology Today or any of these, they're always hyping the latest discovery that, you know, the brain is social or whatever they're saying right right now. And... I don't think people, I know people don't need that, and I don't think people want it. I think they want a psychology of possibility, not prediction, of development, not diagnosis, of transformation, not treatment, of hope, not hype. And where performance and play comes in is is in those words, possibility, development, and transformation, and hope. Because play is imaginative, it's active, it's it's ensemble. Many, 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 many kinds of play are with other people and it's creating the group that you're playing with. Um, Every single study there is of play outside of school and after school and informal learning shows that that builds self-esteem, builds cooperation, creativity. It's a very fascinating way of being together, very much more relational than the kind of thing that we do that's called work, whether it's schoolwork or work work. And this separation between work and play is indeed unfortunate. 
um, over the centuries because work can be playful. Playful is doing what you don't know how to do. It's pretending to be what you're not. Oftentimes people go into apprentices, apprenticeships or jobs of one sort or another and they are paralyzed, humiliated, stuck because they don't know what they're supposed to be. If you get a good environment, a good organization, a good classroom, a good whatever, you are supported by others to do what you don't know how to do and that's how you learn to do it. So play is much more than learning the social roles and adapting to society. It's literally creating culture. You are an active participant in creating culture, which includes your own development. That's what I mean by play. Thank you. Several of these themes that you've just talked about for play, about possibility and hope, transformation, development, I think also very much play a role in in the work you do around social therapy that you, that you and Fred Newman have been in, instrumental in developing as a, as a different way to look at therapy, to look at development. Can you tell us about what that is and how it is different than what people might know of therapy in a, in a more general sense? Sure. Well, I, again, I can go back to Vygotsky um, for part of this and several other people. Um, we're social beings. There's no getting around that. <laughs> and psychology, again, has socialized us to the view that we're individuals first and we become social. Uh, I don't think that's right. I think Vygotsky was right when he said we're social first and he has lots and lots of evidence to support that. So I love paradoxes and, and our culture is filled with them. This paradox that I'm referring to now is that we experience ourselves as isolated individuals quite often or always for some people and yet we're not. So how do we reinitiate the sociality that is what it is to be alive. Human beings live their lives in groups. Could be groups of two, could be groups of ten, could be groups of, five, you know, three billion. But we do live our lives in groups, and yet nobody teaches us how to do it. Along with that, we're socialized to the belief that emotions are inside us, and sometimes we let them out and sometimes we don't, and that Therapy is basically to help you with your problem by getting rid of it or helping you cope with it. Social therapy is very different because what it's about is helping you grow emotionally, create new emotions, brand new ones. Have no names. Maybe you want to name it. Maybe your group that you're in wants to name it. It's a group therapy that focuses on how are we going to create this group in a way that is going to help all of us grow emotionally. So it's non-diagnostic. It's non-individually oriented, meaning it's not like it's a group where everybody gets the same amount of time to talk. It puts a lot of responsibility on the people in the group to create their group to be helpful to everybody. Uh, sounds abstract. It is incredibly down-to-earth, concrete, 
And what happens in this activity of creating the group when nobody knows how to do it, so it's play, because you're being supported to do something you don't know how to do, and that's how you learn to do it. What happens there is that the language and thinking that we have, like, it's all inside me, nobody likes me, I'm alone, all those things get challenged as the group members create a, an act, actually create a new way of talking together that's more social, that's more social in locating their emotions as activity that is in the world and not just in their, in their, in their bodies. Well, I think that uh, going back to performing the world, I think that's a great example of what you just talked about in that environment, uh, having been there. And part of it, I really, I could see everything, (laughs) all that you were talking about there, Lois, because we developed in that space over those few days together Mm -hmm. with all the people from all over the world as a a social group and we learned to be together and we tried new things and we took risks and um, we went in there with not knowing and we played together and we we performed. So, um, and I think too because I am a union-based psychotherapist myself with a PhD in psychology, I totally get that what you're saying about um, how we're taught as a culture to be individuals first and social and um, be beings, and that uh, maybe that's secondary to our individual or individuation or becoming our individual, who we are. And I loved at performing the world how um, how that all came together. So could you use that? Yeah, thank you, explain? thank you, Mary Alice. It's uh, that's very gratifying. Um, and I, and I, I agree with this, my experience as well. You see, we don't, I don't know if everybody, like you think that you, what you're doing is coming into an environment and then that environment determines what you can do in it. Um, like, you know, if there's, a, if there's no water in the swimming pool, then you can't swim. Uh, if there is water in it, you can. You walk into a classroom and the, and, and it's, rows and rows and rows and the the chairs are stuck to the floor. Well, environment is also a kind of, there's cultural environments, there's emotional environments, there's, it's not just like physical space. And the discovery that we've made that seems to be very effective from something as large as performing the world to something as small as a therapy group is that People have to create environments that meet their needs. People, people have the capacity to, we always do, create environments. We're not just stuck with the ones we're in. Um, so that's what we set it up for performing the world. We, what are the props you need to create a supportive, playful environment? And then you just give people the assignment, create the environment, <laughs> create it we forget that we do create them you get this you know you have a family and it's a dysfunctional family and they're always fighting with each other and they have no recognition 
that that didn't fall from the sky. It wasn't preordained. They created the dysfunction. And that's painful, but you know what? If you recognize you created the dysfunction, there's hope that you can transform that and create function. It, this, this capacity that we have and the fact, the fact that we create environments is something that people really need to kind of <clears throat> embrace because it's hopeful. You, you've got um, a, a related but different kind of program coming up at the end of this month in New York City called Discover Development NYC, and it's going to take a small group of people to look at, at examples of performance uh, both in personal development and community development, and it sounds like a, a very cool experience for, for three days that you're going to play host and guide for this lucky group of people. Uh, can yeah. you say a little more about what it is they're actually going to see and experience and participate in in this um, in this program called again just Discover Development NYC? Yeah, um, I I'm very excited about it. I've uh, this is our second one, and the idea is 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 twofold. One is to have a completely different experience of New York City. I love New York City. Years ago, I wanted to be a tour guide <laughs> um, and show people the sites that I love uh, oh. that that they would love too. So I'm getting to do it because what we're doing is, is having three days together, uh, people who don't know each other coming and kind of bringing alive the buzzwords of collaboration, creativity, innovation, and happiness. Um, by walking around the city, by taking the subway, by going to different parts of New York um, that focus on developmental learning and performance activism that show people um, some of the projects that I work with uh, um, in October. It's next weekend, actually, the one for this fall. We'll be going to an All-Stars Talent Show Network, Talent Show Workshop in Brooklyn to see hundreds and hundreds of young people engaged in improvisation exercises. They've never, ever done them before with one of the um, most popular improv troops in New York City. We're going to perform as a philosopher. We're going to sit with me and we're going to perform as philosophical experts, not on the big questions like what is the meaning of life, but on day-to-day, day-to-day questions and looking at language and thought and how they uh, are related to us in positive ways and not positive ways. We're going to have our own improv session. We're going to have dinner in a Greenwich Village bistro. We're going to see an off-off-Broadway show. We're going to have a conversation with Christine LaServa, the uh, chief trainer and head of the social therapy group, and three or four of her clients for them to talk about their emotional development. We're going to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. We're going to sit in a rooftop cafe. So it's, it's New York City as a hub of culture, and it's the experience of being with people who create culture and creating culture as the group of people who are doing this. So it's like culture, 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 but three different ways. Sounds like what a classroom or a school should be like. 
Yes, it does. <laughs> and I, I wish it was. And we're doing another one in May. We do these twice a year now. And um, uh, it, it's like a dream come true for me as, as, a, as a, a showing New York to people, which I've done for years and years and years when visitors from other cities or other countries come. But it's combining that with my passion uh, for non-mowing growing and for performance and for play. And Lois, in our last uh, little bit of our interview time, could you um, open up the field a bit and tell, or you know, talk to our listeners with some words of playful wisdom about how to create more playful, more playful performative life, so we don't have to, um, so. We don't have to really grow up as adults in a sense. We can keep we can keep playing. We can keep performing our lives and, and creating and our own environment. Of about thirty seconds. Yeah. Oh my goodness! In, in thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thirty seconds. I'm going to do a plug for my mentor and colleague Fred Newman's book, Let's Develop, which you can find at the Sight Institute site or on Amazon, because. That's what that book is all about. It has exercises in it. It's a fantastic book about how to play. Great. Well, thank you. And, and we, we should let our listeners know that they can find more about you at LoisHolzman.org and EastsideInstitute.org. Uh, both sites have lots, lots of information and resources and books and links to other uh, related topics that we've talked about today. So, Lois, we want to thank you very much for joining us on Creativity and Play today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight to talk to you. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks. Lois Holzman is director and co-founder of the Eastside Institute and author of the forthcoming The Overweight Brain, How Our Obsession with Knowing Keeps Us from Getting Smart Enough to Make a Better World. Our theme music is Kindergarten, composed and performed by Jonathan Batiste, who just performed the first time at Carnegie Hall this week. And you can listen to this show and previous shows again, find more information about our guests, and sign up to be notified about coming shows at creativityandplay.com. And find Creativity and Play on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes as well. Creativity and Play is a production of the International Center for Creativity and Imagination in partnership with the National Creativity Network. I'm Steve Dolberg. And I'm Mary Alice Long. Please join us at the next Performing the World in 2014. We'd love to have you there. Thanks so much, Lois. Thank you. Thanks so much. Great. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.